thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. I'm Cindy O'Meara. And I'm Karen Smith. Which is quite cute, really, us changing it up a little bit. And this week, we are super excited because we have a very special guest on the show, uh, Charlie Arnott. Now, this is interesting because Cindy recently spoke at Burawa this year, and she had found out by somebody that there was a gentleman there that had a regenerative farm nearby. And of course, Cindy's ears would have pricked up at that and wanted and insisted that she met the amazing Charlie Arnott. She stalked him and found him online. She has been chasing him ever since. And so I would say it's her new boyfriend online. And we are incredibly proud. Welcome to the show, gorgeous Charlie. This is a, this is a very public announcement of our, our friendship, isn't it? <laughs> <It's> very public. <laughs> Hello, girls. Lovely, lovely to be uh, speaking with you today. Oh, it's a privilege for us, and I think it would be apt for us to, uh, first of all, start off, Charlie, and perhaps you could give us a little bit of a background into your story before we bring Cindy in to talk to you. Just tell us what led you to going from having a farm, your journey, how you've handled maybe droughts, just just where are you at, who are you, and tell us, what's your story? My story, well, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I grew up at... Uh, Burrawa, um in Southwest Slopes of New South Wales, and um, uh, in in a farming family situation, we we had a we have a, and still have a, a mixed farm uh, enterprise of Burrawa. and you'd say it was very conventional. We had lots of enterprises, um, lots of inputs, lots of use of chemical, um, certainly uh, fertilizers and animal um, husbandry husbandry type products. So high input, high output, um, and as I said, very, very typical of the of Burua. And I guess that to me was very normal. Uh, I, I didn't know any other way of farming, to be honest. So, um, so that was in my early days. Um, I went away to school. I went to university and did a rural science degree um, at Armidale at, at UNE. And again, that was very, I guess, conventional in the sense it was. Um, it was science-based, so lots of agronomy, lots of genetics, lots of all that sort of hardcore conventional ag-type stuff, um, which was fine. It was um, four hard years of study. Um, and then I, I left school, I left the university, I'm sorry, um, took a few years off, and then I went back to Burua. So this is probably 22, three years ago, um, again, to manage our, um, you know, our, our farm down there. So, as I said, you know, managing uh, it very conventionally, that's, that's, you know, when I was a child, that's how we did it. So, um, that's how I, I, I managed it when I started. Um, and then sometime, I guess it was probably seven, eight years later, I, um, and things were going well. You know, we, 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 were, we were doing well. We were winning the odd you know, wheat competition and, and sort of, um, you know, local local competitions for this and that, and 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 reasonably innovative with our cropping, um, you know, using different technologies, new technologies like chemical chemical shearing was something we tried. 
Um, but again, all very conventional, and 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 we were we were really busy. So, and I thought that's again what that's what farming is all about. And then about in two thousand four, I saw an ad in the paper in Burua, and it said um, this is instead of in the few years into the millennial drought, and it said um, profiting from the drought. And <laughs> of course, I read the headline and thought this has got to be a joke. So it was a day long course in town. I went along. And it really changed my life because um, I, I didn't know what to expect. But what I did, what I did learn, and what I understood was that I probably wasn't asking myself the right kind of questions. In fact, I, I probably wasn't really asking myself questions at all um, because I was in a particular mindset and I had particular paradigms around around what farming was about. And also, which was really the, I guess, one of the more interesting things about what I was about. You know, I sort of identified as a farmer and that can be a reasonably narrow point of view um, to be just think, looking at the world just as a farmer. And I certainly was a farmer, but um, that one day really made me think, you know, what, what else is there? Not just in my life, but certainly, you know, from a farming point of view and, 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 and health and food. I remember the guy who... Who, who was running the course, we, we sort of drove up the road to get a pie for lunch or something. And um, he said, uh, you know, that's all fine. And we had to chat about the morning's work. And he said, are you, are you happy? And I sort of said, well, well, I'm not unhappy. But it was, when I reflect on it, it was a pretty woeful you know, answer. Um, so then that led me to do a course, a week-long course for Grazing for Profit. And that really set me down the path of holistic farm management, looking at my business and my life as a, as a whole, um, not just breaking things into parts and dealing with things one thing at a time, um, which is you know, essentially the, this holistic management is exactly, you know, it, it is looking at the whole and, and understanding and, and being considerate of all the moving parts and how they, how they work together. So, uh, and then that, again, that was the beginning of my journey, I guess. So what's that, 15 years ago? Um, I met my wife a couple of years after that and she was very, um, I mean, she was doing organics, you know, feeding her children organics. Um, she had two young daughters at the time and and, um, uh, and she still has. They're a bit older now. But, you know, so organic was just normal for her. Um, and so that combined with my ongoing education and really understanding you know, different ways of doing, of, of, of being a farmer and, and farming um, that really, I guess, accelerated my trajectory to regenerative agriculture, which is what it wasn't called back then. It was, I guess there was, you know, there was a bit of talk of sustainable agriculture and that sort of thing. So, um, and it's the sort of information that, you know, you can't unhear it. You can't sort of go, you can't ignore it. You know, once you know and you understand and you start, as I say, asking yourself better questions, you find better answers and then you just can't, you just can't go back to conventional ag. I couldn't. So we stopped, we stopped using chemical um, very early on, about 15 years ago. We, we, we stopped using fertilisers. We stopped using all sorts of vaccinations and drenches. We went, we went cold turkey, um, and which has its drawbacks. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. but. Um, I'd recommend a bit of a transition, but I was, you know, a bit of a cold turkey kind of guy, so um, really jumped on board. And so, look, since then, the last fifteen years, um, 
we have we simplified our farming. We started um, uh, selling our products to straight you know, direct to our customers and, and to butcher shops. Um, we put on um, uh, biodynamic workshops, one and two day introduction to biodynamics workshops. We just finished one last week at Bathurst. Hamish Mackay is our educator, and we both facilitate that, that those workshops. So we're really, you know, we're selling selling food, uh, and we're and we're and we're providing services in terms of, you know, bi- teaching other farmers biodynamics. And I guess that, you know, the selling the food bit sort of, uh, I guess a, a point to, to um uh, to dwell on for a second. You know, I say to people that, um, a real turning point in my life and my career as a farmer was um you know the minute i stopped considering that as a farmer i'm i'm producing a commodity you know and we were growing wool and beef and lamb you know the minute i sort of thought about the responsibility i had as a farmer to the people who were consuming the food i was producing you know and i started thinking well i'm actually i'm actually i'm actually growing food that the people are going to eat and before that, it was just spray it with chemical, get it, keep it alive, sell it, um, you know, put it on a truck and away it goes with no, no real consideration for where it was going to end up as long as I was paid to then going, well, look, you know, I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually contributing significantly to people's health or ill health and, um, and their well-being. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess that was one of the real, um, as I said, turning points in my consciousness around um uh, my role and my my job as a farmer so um yeah that's it has how do we go is that the yeah. is that, <laughs> is you know, right? I think that turning point where you realize that you were making you're creating food for people that we're either going to make them sick or well and mm-hmm. i just wish more and more farmers would start to realize that so you know, my mother's from the cornfields of Iowa and I go over there and I have a look at what they're doing over there and it's, like, it's just constant spraying of chemicals. And even my uncle, who's a pig farmer, you know, back when I was 15 and 16 and and working in the pig farm, I I never realised the cruelty of what I was seeing and what I was witnessing. It just was normal to me. So both in the cornfields and the pig farms, I had first-hand experience and that was back in the, you know, the 70s and the 80s and I go back there now and all of my family have lost their farms. They don't have them anymore. They, um, it, and it was because of the chemical revolution that, that happened and I don't know if they realise that they're producing food for humans and that it is a matter of for health or for sickness, in sickness and in health. That's what it is. And I just am so excited that that's, that's what you got. Now, I know that um, I, I want to go here because I think um, I thought it was really interesting that both you and Kim were in Europe in the lavender farms um, and you were learning about, I guess, agriculture in Europe and Kim was there smelling the lavender. So what I would love you to talk about is what did you learn? Is there anything new in Europe, and not just on lavender but in agriculture, that you learnt um, in that couple of months that you spent um, and put on your Instagram and made me very jealous like Kim? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. I learnt, I guess what I learnt was that, 
what's normal for Italians is is not normal for us. You know, what's normal for them is um, using every square foot of land they have to grow food. Um, and and you know where we stayed on the farms, farms we we, we stayed at for you know, a week or so at the time. Um, most of the most not you know just over the fence. Um, so you know they're very. That's not you know we 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 talk about it here a lot in Australia because that's what we all want to do and that's what we're striving for. But in there it's like what yeah of course that's just what how we operate. I mean, there's no, I didn't hear the word regenerative agriculture once because I think a lot of their agriculture already is. And it's, again, it's like that's normal for them to be um, using the resources on their, on their properties, you know, growing lots of food. They're preserving their food. They're selling it locally. Um, it's healthy. I mean, we ate so much pasta and bread. If I, I'd be in hospital if I had eaten that much in, in Australia. But, you know, we, the, the, just the quality of the, of the pasture and bread and the ancient grains they're they're using to produce that, it's got like twenty percent of the gluten that we that we is in our wheat in Australia in the flour we're using. So um, again, that's normal for them. They haven't there wasn't an industry of you know hybridising and breed, selective breeding of wheat to for, for basically um, for economic you know with, with economic sort of. KPIs in in in, uh, in mind, you know, they they were growing it for its nutritional value, and that's just something that a lot of food isn't grown for in Australia. Like wheat, it's grown, you know, dwarf variety, so it doesn't fall over. High protein to make bread, you know, lots of gluten. Who cares? Um, uh, you know, storing quality of, of of fruit and vegetables. It's you know, we're really we're really off target. We're trying to get there, but the Italians are just it's just normal. So that was. The food, the culture, their attitude to life, um, uh, you know, we really slowed down as well, which is a real lesson in just living and being present to what we were doing. Of course, we were on holidays and um, even though our, our schedule was reasonably hectic, we were, we were really, it was a great circuit breaker. And I think that's another thing we learned was um, the importance of, um, uh, you know, farmers don't talk about it, just self-care. You know the fact that we were, we were, we was like it was like I guess it was family care. We all went as a family, so we were just all deep in the culture of um, of Italy, and of course, just the wonderful landscape. Um, and I guess, and and my wife Angelica certainly um, uh, would support this notion that you know I guess one of the biggest take homes was the people um, there, which obviously contribute to the culture and the vibe of the whole country, but just their um, willingness to share, willingness to help, willingness to open the doors of their farms and show us um, what they're doing. And, um, you know, that they were some of our best memories or fondest memories were, you know, some of the producers there. We went to a biodynamic um, orchard, a biodynamic vineyard. Um, one place we went to in um, Marquet up there, we went to... Um, they did, oh, yeah, olive, olive oil and, and wine um, and amazing honey. It's just, you know, we came back with this re, just invigorated about, you know, we've got to grow more food. And, and, and I guess this is interesting because when I met Angelica yes, um, you know, many years ago and, and, and she's Italian and her father's from Sicily, you know, first time he came to our farm at Bora, he said, where's the food? 
You know, literally he said, why aren't you growing pumpkins in that paddock? And, you know, now I get it. You know, having been there and um, just really immersed ourselves in the culture, we, you know, it's such an important, it's a responsibility, but it's like, why, why aren't we growing more food? The, you know, why don't we have more fruit trees? So, um, and of course, the lavender is just amazing. So <laughs> we're inspired to grow more lavender, um, more fruit trees, um, and, and all those other, other wonderful Mediterranean um, herbs and, uh, and, and, and trees, yeah. You touched on something that I think is really imperative around the European culture. I've just got back myself, Charlie, and um, in Spain and in France. And I just, what blew me away going to the different farms or, or different places we visited was that real village um, community feel, which you've touched mm. on. And it was almost like part of their culture and tradition is that you've got each other's back. No one would go mm. hungry, I would imagine, over there. No one would be left on their own. Um, and I think that's what I really took in the way that they actually, and I'm not a farming expert by any stretch of the imagination, but through what I've learned from Cindy and Karen and our podcast and certainly people like yourself, was that cross um, I guess the diversity, so having chooks and having different mm. fruits and having different plants planted and the way they grew the lavender, you know, like people would say, oh, how could you stand in the fields with all those bees? And to actually stand there, and I came up with a new word, you might like to take it on and share this with your community, I think it's quite profound, but I think <laughs> the word huzzing, so the bees were humming and buzzing, so I called it huzzing accidentally. <laughs> but what was so beautiful is the bees were not aggressive, that maybe it was because they're around lavender and lavender, as we know, is very calming. But it was just looking at the ground and the, these, these places didn't get a lot of rain in many ways. And yet the plants were thriving. And we went to a vineyard where they didn't have, and I don't know the correct terms, but the vines were, didn't go high, but they altered it because of the way that the winds came and how they farm, they listened to their environment is what I'm mm. getting to. They seemed to really communicate with one another what had happened over generations. Is that something that you noticed or is perhaps missing here in Australia that we've become so secluded in what we're doing instead of sharing that information? Is that something that would be correct? Oh, I totally agree. I guess, I mean, the Italians are indigenous to Italy, you know, and I know that's an obvious thing to say, but it, it, they have been there for thousands of years. And, you know, there's, and, and that's why they, they are so in tune. They're so, as you say, they're, they're very community-minded. Um, you know, they, there is, you know, they, they're producing a huge amount of food in reasonably adverse situations. I know we're in the middle of a drought here in Australia, but some of the places we went to, um, have half, has half, half the rainfall that, that, that we might have at Burua, say, but just the, the abundance of food because of the sort of the stacking of enterprises and the recycling of waste and, and those, you know, those, again, very normal practices that they, they, um, uh, that they do there, they are able to retain moisture in their soil and grow a huge amount of food and be, and be really happy. I mean, we, and, and as far as from a health point of view, I mean, but we just didn't see big people in Italy. The only when we saw big people, um, they were clearly uh, tourists. You know, so that says a lot for their their well being, the food they're eating, the food they're producing. 
Um, Charlie, I've but, never drunk so much wine and eaten so much bread, <laughs> and yet I came back with 100 grams on my weight. I thought I would come back a 10-ton Tessie. And the yeah. laughs that we had, the, the long two-hour lunches that you would have, they would eat late at night over there, mm-hmm. which I found interesting because we, I just don't like eating late here. But we would eat late at night. They were long meals, lots of greens and homegrown tomatoes that didn't look perfect, but they tasted insane. We had rosé or wine with every meal that was grown by one of the neighbours. And mm. what, what is, Why are we lacking this in Australia and down under? Well, it's a great question. I, I guess, I mean, whilst we are a very diverse culture, and we've, you know, we're a melting pot of different cultures, I guess um, that may... Whilst that brings to the table a lot of different options, maybe that's something in the fact that we don't have, we don't have a standard sort of uh, practice or standard attitude or, or standard culture that that they have. Which you know, as you say, they they you know they generally don't eat breakfast. They they have their um, their late dinners. They drink lots of wine and they eat amazing food and they're not fat. Um, you know, I don't think any of that, any of those points, uh, relate to Australia at all. You know, we eat huge breakfasts. Um, we've, I think we've just recently overtaken the US in terms of the obesity rates um, and, and all the other diseases that we're racking up. Um, a lot of the food we, we are eating is processed and rubbish and we don't know where it's come from and it's probably come from that side of the continent. So, um, uh, I mean, we have so much to learn and I guess that's why we're having this conversation, isn't it? We're, you know, we're trying to highlight to people, you know, and using um, the example of Italy, you know, highlight to people the benefits to their own health, to the environment, to and even the economics of it. That's another whole conversation. And getting back to why um, my previous career as a farmer, or my my the, my uh, my old old um, farming ways, you know, we had an economic relationship with the landscape. You know, decisions we made were based around, you know, how much we're going to make from it, how much did it cost, um, you know, cutting corners. Uh, you know, that's. That's how we make decisions, and I'm, I'm absolutely positive that you know um, the agriculture generally in, in Italy, for instance, um, that is not their primary motivation for farming. You know, their primary motivation is production of, of wonderful food, um, and and family. You know, that was the other big thing is the the culture of their core um, family members. And there was one place we stayed at. Um, it was the eighth generation of farmers there. Um, there was one. Another one in um, Tuscany we didn't get to. Twenty six generations of, of of wine winemakers. I mean that's just insane. And you know that's that's I, I think you know. So we, we don't obviously have that in Australia. We we will be a few. I'll be long long gone by the time anyone any farming families are racking with that many generations. But um, I think you know we 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 have so much to learn. Maybe we should all go to Italy. Go back to Italy on a fa- a regenerative ag farming tour. And um, start, uh, you know, um, uh, showing other people how it can be done. What do you reckon, girls? We just all texted each other going, let's move to Italy. <laughs> 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 um, what do you think? How is this going to place for what, what Are we at our own demise? Are we our own worst enemies down under? What do you see as the future down under? Um, look, I think I'm, 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 I'm very optimistic. Um, about the future of agriculture in Australia, and I, and I always take it back to agriculture because that is, I think, well, I don't think I, I know, and I feel that that's that's where 
that's the core getting that right or cha- or changing our habits you know about as as farmers and as 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 you know eaters as i call them i'm a feeder and my clients are eaters you know if if we can change our habits um and that's and you know they're the two bigger sides of the equation the feeders and the eaters if we can get farmers to understand the multiple benefits of let's just call it regenerative agriculture um and if we can we can we can highlight the benefits to the eaters of you know sourcing food straight from farmers at least knowing where it's from and and making different choices and creating new new buying and eating habits then i i think the future is bright we it's not going to happen tomorrow but you know we're doing our darndest to um to train up essentially we are training up as many farmers and gardeners and and families in the practices of biodynamics because you know when it does when we do hit the wall um you know whether it's economically environmentally you know we're going to need practitioners not just in in the country on farms but you know in the cities in gardens to grow food you know when 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 we are down to our last um uh you know non-chemical bit of food or last square metre of dirt. I mean, I think really the only people who are going to successfully keep growing food are the ones who, you know, I believe biodynamics is the thing that's going to really make the biggest difference to agriculture in Australia because it's just, it's, it's not about the economic benefits, even though there are. It's about restoring a relationship with, with the landscape and the food we eat. And it's not just, again, you know, how to grow a carrot or how to, grow a nice looking cow it's about um your place as an individual and that cow and that carrot's place in the whole picture in the whole landscape so look i it's not looking good um you know disease is rampant and and you know we can talk about what we all think or know that's the case um and the environment is uh going backwards i'd have to say on the on the ledger but I, I reckon, I reckon we'll be okay. But you know, we've got to start acting pretty smartly. Mm, we sure do. There was um, a report done um, called "The Food Revolution and Trends Disrupting the Food Industry," and they basically said the challenges was population growth, climate change, water access, and food waste. And um, the drivers of the change will be consumer demands and digital living. And they're talking about food innovation and talking about plant-based proteins, 3D food printing. Uh, and I, I'm just, I'm floored that this yep. is where they think that it's going to go. No, and that's, I'm not surprised that that's getting pumped out. I mean, I, I always say to people, you can't solve a biological problem with chemistry mm. or physics or, or, or mechanisation. That's just, you, you know, if, if if whatever biological problem we, we want to identify, you know, um, in, in in you know small small fry stuff or, or global stuff, biology because that's essentially what's happening. You know, it's the biology that um, of the of plants and animals in the atmosphere that's screwed up, um, and the water cycles and everything else. You know, we need the, the solutions to those problems lie in the very things we're screwing up. You know, we have the tools. To do that, in, in um, uh, Paul Hawken had a, he released a couple of years ago a wonderful book called Drawdown, and in that you, you might be aware he he identified the hundred most effective 
methods of drawing down carbon and reducing you know, carbon emissions oh, and yes, and so on. And, and if yeah, yeah, it was a great book. Anyway, yeah. so if you, if you group together all of the regenerative agriculture type practices that he's identified. Um, being grazing management and permaculture and multi-species stuff, all sorts of different methods. If you put them together and put them under the umbrella of, mul- of um, regenerative agriculture, then it's 2.4 times more effective than the very next um, method. So, I mean, to me, it's very clear that um, uh, the sooner that farmers can adopt these practices um, and the sooner that the eaters can um, support those practices, almost demand those practices, um, we will be so much further ahead than, you know, tweaking legislation and government policy, adopting and making crazy new, you know, technology and 3D printing and or food. I mean, that just is insane. And this whole lab meat debacle, I mean, it's just horrifying. So, you know, I think it's really simple. And we as a, as a race, we like to overcomplicate things because it makes us feel busy or important, I don't, don't know what. But, you know, the solution is really simple. And, you know, and I always get back to the fact that, you know, we've got two big problems if we want to simplify the problems. Environmental ill health and decline and, you know, on a global scale and, and, and the health of mankind. And they're both going to the, you know, they're not good. And, and, and the solution, regenerative agriculture practices, it actually deals with both, like head on. So I don't know. I mean, it does frustrate me, but it does give me hope that we have got solutions. Um, we, we have solutions out there. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. The smart farming practices are vertical farming, lab-grown food, algae agriculture and components of the fourth industrial revolution, including big data and AI, can reduce resource use, boost yields and improve crop resilience. So it scares me. We've gotten to this point, Charlie, and you had a wake-up call in 2004, and I know there's more farmers having wake-up calls, but the people that are financing this, and this is a finance journal that I'm getting this from, are our big venture capitalists, people like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of who I've seen um, in there that, that is financing it. Um, but there are there are they're like the big companies. Bayer is one of them that sees plant based meats as the the new way, and that's plant based meats. But this this lab meat, I was I was reading some information about it today, and you know, in food um, food additives, they're using um, fetuses. And people don't realise yes. it. Use yep. it in the research, yep. and they're going to use some sort of cell culture. I don't know what um, to make this lab meat, which is at this point. Uh, I was watching a video on it. It's realistic in that mm. it is possibly going to happen. When are the people going to rise up and support somebody like you or me who has? you know, 60 small acres in Mullaney but would love people to say, hey, will you grow our food, Cindy, or can we buy your cattle? But we have a government that then goes, no, you have to sterilise all your lettuces before you sell it to the public. Uh, No, you can't Mm -hmm. butcher your cow on your property. No, you cannot give unpasteurised milk. And so we're stuck between, uh, you know, a rock and a hard place. 
Well, I think that the, I mean, the main driver of all of that is is money, um, and yes, money you know is involved in every everyone and everything. However, when it becomes the primary, you know, the the primary um, uh, function or the, or the, or the the primary consideration in business, um, uh, then that's when we run into trouble. So you know, regen for everyone in, for regenerative farmers. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful business model because you're reducing your inputs, you're simplifying your business, um, you're living in a much healthier environment for yourself and your family. You're doing wonderful things for the environment, and you, you know, uh, and you're producing clean, nutritious food. That is a terrible business model for everyone else that those businesses used to support before. You know, the the the, the people who used to buy fertilizer from and chemicals from the the, the um, you know if you're selling uh, your animals direct to customers, you're not using you know, the same agents or as many agents to sell and buy stock as you used to, you know, it's sort of because no, the big end of town who's making money out of the current business model of farming and ill health um, don't, want, don't, don't want to have a bar of this because it, it basically erodes and it's, um, uh, it, it doesn't support uh, profits and shareholder, um, you know, share, shareholder demand. So, and the government is, uh, we will, we might as well, Forget about them. To be honest, I, I believe um, in the in the short to medium term, because of vested interests, if not personally, then with the parties and with um, you know the industry. The industries are very strong. You know, whether they be the feedlot industry, whether they be um, you know Kemp Bayer and Monsanto and those sort of things. You know, there's a lot of and even research in university. I mean, this is a huge conversation. But so many. Well, I mean, I have to say, all universities' research is is reliant upon grants from, if not government, from private companies, which are clearly creating studies um, which support the sale of products. I mean, it's I can't be any clearer than that. So, you know, who are do we? Who are we to believe? And and I think that you know, really, it's the the dollars that um, is 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 keeping the wheels of conventional, you know, industrial farming. Um, uh, turning and, and and that's it's a big it's a big uh, big task we have to change that around. But I think, as I said, you know, the for farmers who are considering a change, what what I what I emphasise is there's a and this drought's a great example of this that there's a push away from conventional ag. You know that they are um, um, you know economically there's some big stuff going down. You know. Um, um, you know they are, you know, needing to extend their mortgage, their, their, their their overdrafts, or they're getting funds from the government, and they're getting handouts of hay and all sorts of things, which is fine because it's keeping them going. Um, however, you know, it's a pretty unattractive and unsustainable situation for a lot of farmers. So there's sort of for some, or for for many more, I hope, I trust, they are wanting, they'll be getting wanting to get away from that current situation. So I believe there's a real push away from conventional agriculture. And the wonderful thing is there's a, there's a pull, there's a drag, there's attraction to um, regenerative agriculture because it offers solutions, you know. So, and there's, you know, whether that be engaging more with, with the people they're selling their food to, environmental outcomes, financial outcomes, sense of well-being. So, you know, we're in this wonderful I believe has a, have this wonderful opportunity 
and we have this situation where there's you know farmers are being pushed away in droves from traditional conventional agriculture for all those reasons that you explained. But they've actually got somewhere to go to, you know. So there's sort of, and to me, it's not a question of uh, they don't have enough information to make a decision. There is oodles of information out there. I mean, Google, just spend five minutes and you'll have a raft of information about the benefits of regenerative agriculture. Now, as I say to people, the first paddock people have to change is the one between their ears. You know, they've got to get their head around the benefits and the, and the well, the benefits are obvious. It's more they've got to get their head around the, the, this whole thing about change, you know, and, um, and the stigma of change and the breaking the paradigms. And that's what I, that's what was, I guess, easy for me to do because I had a network of other farmers I was learning and educating myself with that created this wonderful support network of people to, um, to go on this, on this ride. So, uh, yeah. So um, I can't even remember what question you asked me. Uh, <laughs> but how can you, how could we, if, if the farmers, if the ratio, I don't know what the ratio is, are we talking 90-10 in regenerative farming here in Australia? What's, what's the ratio? Do you know? Um, that's a great question. I will have to find that out because you've made me start thinking now. I don't know. Um, we haven't reached a tipping point yet because I think there will be a tipping point where people will, um, you know, there'll be too many fences they've looked over and, and, and green fields they've seen when theirs is not. Um, and, you know, just the conversations down the pub will start start changing, you know. So I, I'd love to know what that um, what it is. Mm. Maybe it's maybe it's 90-10. Um, I think that, you know, there's there's probably, I guess there's hectares of, manage, you know, of, of area managed and there's also this number of farms. And I'd, I'd say a lot of the smallholders are probably thinking this, um, uh, already, because I think you know they may not have the economic pressures um, of banks breathing down their neck, but they're also probably moved to that sort of smaller holding situation because they're looking for a tree change and they want they you know their, their background is not they're not dragging baggage you know farming baggage to their situation like you know it's hard for farmers to basically change their identity. Um, um, but for someone who's, you know, a school teacher in Sydney who wants to go, you know, on a farm and do something at Burua, that's, um, you know, they just don't have the paradigms to bust. What do you think it is for a farmer? What, what was the change in you? I mean, I think you've said a couple of things around perhaps behind every good man is a good woman and mm. vice versa. Um, but for you to actually take the courage to go to that class that was open about making a profit from the drought, mm. um, how do we get all these, the 90% that perhaps aren't doing regenerative farming to at least open up for the conversation? Uh, you say to change the paddock between the ears, but yeah. how do you get to them? Well, look, for me, I guess it was a, I, I just had enough years. I guess I reached a point of maturity that, you know, um, I wasn't necessarily looking to, um, you know, I guess I'd, I'd done, I, I'd been a farmer in that way for a number of years and not that it wasn't working, but I got to the point where I didn't need to try and keep proving myself and keep smacking my head against a wall, you know. I, I, I got to, you know, something in me said that it has to change and probably it was when I was asked are you happy and I went oh, well I'm not unhappy so really wow like 
that's that to me was a was a was a was you know as I said one of the one of the turning points. Um, you know, I don't know. Just finding finding a support network really helped me as well. You know, and I think farmers often, and especially in the traditional you know, industrial ag, there's a lot of competition, and we we are we tend to isolate ourselves because we're you know we're coveting our IP or our methods because it's really competitive because there's you know we could lose money if someone else sells their cows for more than us or something. So there's this real sense of competition which doesn't exist in the regenerative ag space, I've found. It's, it's very collegiate um, and very sharing. So, you know, there's not the, there's not the, um, uh, that sort of competition that keeps, um, uh, keeps people, um, um, you know, isolated. And so, and, and, and look, you know, every year that goes by, um, I mean, what I learned back in 2004 had been in Australia for probably 15 years. So there were others that were far, you know, greater pioneers than I. I just happened to sort of come, to, you know, midway there um, and land myself in a situation where there was already some support. There were already some pioneers that I could, I could um, call, you know, call mentors. And so, and that's, you know, the, every year we go that goes by, there are more people who are setting standards in agriculture that that people can um, look up to. And again, we're creating a, we're creating a new normal. So, um, you know, I think, and for me, you know, thinking about a family, um, thinking about me getting older and my health, you know, when you're young and fit, like you're invincible, you know, but, um, you know, running off a paddock, uh, after playing football and you get sore every year goes by, you get a bit sore. You start thinking about, well, you know, how long have I got, and and what am I doing to my body? So you know how I how the food I was eating that you know that for me changed as well. Um, so you know there's I guess everyone is individual and 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 my one of my jobs is to is to give every farmer that might come across me or the work we do or a similar work that others are doing, you know, having having on the table the tools and the thinking and the psychology that's going to it's going to, you know, be a, a touch point for any farmer, for any, any, anything they need, any sort of, any sensitive spot they have, you know, and, and, and be able to, as I say, give people a soft landing into regenerative agriculture, you know. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's a, the question is a wonderful one and I don't, have, I don't have all the answers, but I guess from my experience that's just, that's what that's that was that was mine and and um and as I said everyone's going to have a different sort of um a touch point or, or sensitivity to this information so mm, I think so yeah. one of the other key things you mentioned was self care and Cindy was t- texted me that's something I'm very passionate about given the suicide rate which I know Karen although she's lost her sound would also be interested in um from the point of view, what, what are your top tips on self-care for all of us, even though we're not farmers? What would be your top tips on self-care? Well, I'm um, a terrible meditator, but I, <laughs> I, I understand the benefits of meditation. Um, that's something I, I'm going to focus more on in the future personally and also just as, uh, as a tool. Um, uh, I, as, and all, and all, so that's meditation is, is definitely one. And, um, Zach Bush, who I know you guys um, you know follow and, and, and know reasonably well, you know he has this "Breathe Your Biome" sort of um, tagline, which I think is wonderful. So, actually being present to the wonderful, you know, 
to, to, to nature and your landscape, and that can be a farmer or it can be you know someone in the city or anything. So I think that's another um, just being present to to your world and 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 appreciating that you are part of the world. I um, Hamish Mackay's got a wonderful expression, um, and there is that old expression: "You, you are what you eat." Um, and he says, "Well, it really should be you eat you you you, um, you eat what you are." You know, it's it's you're really in control of your own mind and your own thinking and your own behaviours. And you know, when you're feeling like crap, you eat crap food. Um, you know, and when you're feeling good, you'll actually have the motivation to go and eat good food. So I think that. Um, all these things obviously go um, go hand in hand. I think another sort of psychological. Sorry, you, I was just going to just add something there, Charlie. You are what your food eats, plant and animal. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. You are what you are what, what you are what your food eats. Mm. I think you that's are. more powerful because you know you can eat a fruit, you can eat a vegetable, you can eat animals but if those animals are eating foods laced with glyphosate and those plants are being sprayed with glyphosate and i'm just saying glyphosate is one because there's chlorpyrifos there's dicamba there's 24 d there's all of these chemicals that are out there and if you're eating those foods then you're not going to be well there's just no way you can be well and i, I love your optimism charlie i'm I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going the other way at the moment and I really need to listen to you more. I'm becoming very disheartened that people aren't listening and understanding the importance of consuming the food that you are talking about. But what's happening is it's an elitist mm. food. Like my son, let's just take my son for instance. He grows the food on the farm at Changing Habits. But we had to go to Victoria. Yeah. I went to the organic um, place in Victoria where we were and he kept whispering to me, Mum, it's cheaper at Woolworths, Mum, it's cheaper at Woolworths. And I, and I just kept saying, honey, I'm not prepared to, you know, support them. But I did go into Woolworths at this place because there was only two shops in town, the organic shop and Woolworths, and I was surprised at how much Woolworths had certified organic in the way of meat um, not so much fruit and vegetables, but their meat and their processed foods, as you could mm. say. So, you know, how do we get this food so the true cost of it, um, it shines through, you know, because you're a carbon sequester, you're part mm -hmm. of the climate change um, solution, not the problem, whereas your neighbour and, and I've been to Burrawar and I've seen those landscapes that are filled with thistle and, and bare land. And then I've seen your land, I've seen pictures of your land and it's stunning. And that's like a, a fence line apart. You know, I, I don't understand how we can teach people this. I want your optimism back. <laughs> well, well I, look, I, you know what, just, I'm optimistic but I'm planning for the worst, you know. I think I'm planning for the worst, hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, and and I guess that's what that's what I said before that you know we are we need people um, farmers who have not just the ability to grow organic food. Um, I mean, you know, truth be known, I've I've tasted some pretty horrible organic food because there's organic by default. You take chemical use out of organic or growing food, you've got food, uh, and that's great without chemical, but it doesn't doesn't mean it's nutritiously dense. You know, it doesn't mean it's necessarily better for you um, from a nutritional point of view. So. Um, you know, I guess um, 
yeah, nutrient dense. Yeah, yeah. And I guess back to back to my point about you, you know um, you eat what you you eat what you are, and I say mm-hmm. that because you know why does someone put a bit of food in them in their mouth that has chemical on it that's yeah. been grown conventionally? They're bought in supermarket. When they put it in their mouth, they've actually before that they've bought that food because they because they because they're not not they're not thinking properly, but they they are thinking uh, in a way that is not conducive to their own well-being. You know, so you know when we can well, again when when we can you know highlight the benefits of what um, I'm doing, what other people are doing, and you know. And I know buying habits are mainly based around price and convenience, and supermarkets are cheap and convenient, you know. But the thing is that is really frustrating is the environment is subsidising the cost of that food, isn't it? Like, no one's, you know, and and everyone is delaying the pain. You know, they'll pay for cheap food now um, because it's convenient and it's cheap and it tastes okay because it's, it's full of sugar. Um, and flavors and, and, and all sorts of other horrible things but it is to their detriment because they are not going to escape you know they're going to be paying for that in that they're going to be paying you know financially um, in terms of ill health later on you know as, as you know touched on before we've got this Monsanto who is you know bought by Bayer now what, what a convenient acquisition that they're creating disease by producing crap food or helping people make crap food, but voila, they've got the solution for your every illness under the sun. It's like it's a wonderful business model. And that's what people are just so so used to doing. Again, that is normal for them to eat crap food and go to the doctor every second day. You know, and I say, you know, I ask people, you know, do they have a doctor and do they know them well? And and um, and yes, and how often do you see them? Every six months. Well, well I ask them, Who, who's your farmer? And they look at me like I've got two heads. And it's like, what do you mean? I go, well, how often do you do farmer? Three times a day. So, you know, I'm, it's, 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 it's such a multi-pronged attack we've got to have on the eaters. You know, it's got to be economic. You know, they've got to understand the value of food. We can't keep, the environment can't keep subsidising They've got to understand the, the, the detrimental effect, effects that this crap food's having on their health and, it, and their children. I mean, you know, people, if people happy to put crap food in their own mouths, hopefully they don't want to put crap food in the mouths of their children. Um, you know, and there's this other, the, the benefits of just getting back in touch with nature. I think that's the toughest one, you know, because there's a large part of the population who do not care about nature, never want to go to a farm, never will, and that's fine, and we may never get them. We may never capture them, but there's a huge part of the population that I think is on the tipping point of just getting it, you know, and that's why it's so important to do work with schools. And when the kids start asking mum and dad about food and, you know, involve themselves in the the purchasing choices, I think that's a powerful tool, you know, get them when they're young. Mm. And make that normal. Make it normal for kids to visit a farm. Make it normal to ask mum and dad for organic food. And make it normal for them to be growing food in their own school. Um, we well, thank God there is this intergenerational change that we can take advantage of. You know that the attitudes, whilst you know culturally and generationally they often stay the same, we have this opportunity to to engage with these kids when they're young, and it's for their own bloody good. At the end of the day. 
Um, and you know, I, I think you sometimes wish you could, you know, you, you could, you need parents to have licenses to have kids because some of the stuff I see is horrifying. You know, the things, the things I see them put them in their mouth, put in their mouths. Um, I mean, that's another whole conversation. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that um, I had a friend um, who said to me, I really want you to come around to my house. So we, we did a, um, a contra. She, he came and cleaned my computer out and I went and cleaned his pantry and fridge out and his wife and children were there with us. Mm. And I explained, you know, like every food had a flavour, a colour, a citric acid or, a, 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 you know, an acidity regulator, a filler, a binder, that's yeah. what the foods were. They were it was um, in unconceivable, inconceivable what it was. And I said, look, we have to do is make one mayonnaise and then put wasabi in a little bit of one and it's not hard. Mm. So I spoke to him about four months after I'd been there and I said, how, how, did, it, how did you go? Did, have you changed your pantry over? Have you, you done the things I talked about? And he said, no, my wife's not on board and she doesn't want to do it. You know, like. This is me going in there for two hours and, and yeah. showing them and explaining this thing to them. You know, that's that's one thing. And then another thing, um, I, I'm speaking to some of the big CEOs of the biggest food producers here in Australia, biggest. Mm, cool. And they basically are looking to make healthier they know what's happening in Australia. They know there's sickness in the kids, there's obesity, there's dementia, there's all this stuff is happening. And they think that food is going to be start to be taxed. So they're asking me to help them with healthier options. So I start writing on the natural flavours and, and they said, Well, Cindy, that's chapter fourteen. Let's just start at chapter one. So so, so what so what what's their what's driving them? to come to you is it do you think it's an economic like they've got to jump on the bandwagon because everyone's going to start buying healthy food and there's money to be made or are they really sincere in there are they are they is there a you know do they have a sound moral compass that's driving them towards you to to get help i, I actually not sure i think they believe they've got to start making healthier options but when you have a like i looked at the ingredients of one of their products and i I deciphered it for them and I went through it all and, like, it was just a cookie. That's all it was, but there was no cookie there. It was all flavours and colours and margarine instead of butter. And, and I put it down to the basic recipe of a cookie. I went flour, butter, sugar, salt, but let's do good quality. And I said, well, you could do, you know, an organic um, non-refined sugar. You could do a non-refined salt. You could do wheat that's not being desiccated with glyphosate. I said, "There's three. That's chapter one, two, and three right there." Mm, mm. But I just, I'm like this. This, the, this is one product of of hundreds and hundreds of products that they have, yeah. and you, you have to go. Like I heard General Mills in the US are now asking farmers not to desiccate with glyphosate their wheat. Yeah. Good. So is that going to happen here in Australia? Are we going to see that or are we going to have farmers like I've come across who said glyphosate will feed the world, we can't live without it, and it stopped no-till farming and, oh, my gosh, it's just one of the most um, frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. And I'm, I've loved listening to you because I feel like, you know, you're on the ground, you're doing this, you're helping other farmers that are trying to figure it out, you know, that, Grazing for profit by RCS, RCS wasn't it? Like that. Seems, yeah, that seems to be something that people are really looking at. And 
And maybe- well, that's, well, that's a gateway for farmers, definitely, to get into that. And so they don't necessarily focus on quality of food, but it, it always comes down to it because they talk about well-being. They talk about the yeah. people stuff. And, you know, inevitably you end up going, well, what are you putting in your mouth and how does that make you think? And, and, and what are you thinking to put in your mouth in the first place? So, um, you and I, I guess back to your frustration, I share that frustration. Um, uh, however, um, I think it's about small steps. And, and again, in, in a similar vein, you know, when we look at, so that's the health stuff. It's frustrating. It's it's enormous problem. We know the benefits, but it's slow, hard slog. The other slow, hard slog currently is this, you know, the global crisis. And and that's a really big topic. And, and you know, when you talk to farmers about, and I get frustrated with farmers because I think, isn't it obvious, you know, that you can change? And But nonetheless, you know, it's an enormous problem. And, and when when there are conversations with farmers about the global crisis, it's a huge responsibility that a lot of people are asking them to bear, right, or suggesting they should bear. Um, yes, we have the tools to do it, but not everyone's ready to, to, to use those tools. So, you know, when, when farmers are burdened almost with this, oh, my God, it's up to me to save the planet, which is pretty much what a lot of people are saying, yeah. that is a really tough gig. So I just say, look, let's just put the global thing to the side for a minute okay because that's big you know that's like who's going to take that on we have to consider it and we're all working towards it but let's put that aside let's focus on something that you are in control of right and that's 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 the boundary of your farm and the activities and the management that that happens on there and the way you live your life and the way your family lives their lives that is such an easier way such such a um, um more comprehensible more easily manageable conversation to have with a farmer it's like okay i can do that because you know the more farmers that are doing that they're all contributing in their small and big way to the global crisis and i know that's a you know it's a simple way to put it but we need simple ways for people to you know um to come to the party you know for, for people to transition just think about what you're doing because every farm is its own microclimate you know that microclimate is 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 contributing to the macro climate, you know, which contributes to the whole global climate. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort of, in what we teach and how we approach this whole topic, we try and not dumb it down, but just keep it simple, you know. And that's one of the, the, the things that, you know, RCS and other holistic management educators and groups focus on is like exactly that. Focus on what's in your control because there's a whole lot of stuff in your world and business that is not in your control. And if you keep focusing on that you are going to go nuts you know and you're going to you know it's, it's so frustrating so i mean you know i don't know what do you think the the, the low-hanging fruit here is in terms of health you know who what are the what are the what are the simple things that people can can do or say or change mm. to sort of um you know to get our populace just more considerate of, of, of their health and the food. Could, could I jump in here to both of you that as a person who isn't um, aware of all the farming principles or understand it, but obviously very passionate about it, I'd invite you both. You've both made comments, you and Cindy, that Cindy, for instance, when she looked at um, from a laboratory point of view, as in the past said that she didn't realise or think about the animals 
um, that it was just, it's always been done that way. You yourself said you just saw it as being a provider of some sort of thing that you called food and you went along your ways. I invite you both to think about the switch, the turn, the change for you, what clicked for you, and then for you both to encourage um, and teach that because it's that little gap there, the transition, the change, the opening for the conversation, the ability to even think slightly differently. You've got a company called Changing Habits, Cindy, and beautiful Charlie has said Changing Habits a number of times. Um, would it not be a great idea for those of you, even if it is 10% of you that are into regenerative agriculture, to come together because it's usually the tsunami of change that will occur through a group of people, a small group of people with the same ideal that inspires us at a soul level to look at the big picture, to have us want to change. If I could invite both of you to think like that, I would love to, to hear you both speaking on that platform. It's about, I think, the nutritionists and the farmers coming together, and that's what I think mm. it is. It used to be, a, a, you know, we were separated. The farmers did their thing and the nutritionists did their thing. But I think now this is a time for uh, us to be on the same stage and the same platform mm. together talking about the importance of nutrient-dense foods and then the farmer talking about the production of these nutrient-dense foods and what it takes in order to get them. And when we do that, we eat less. Like that's it's mm. just so obvious when you're not needing like a loaf of bread every day to keep you going because when you have nutrient-dense food, one piece of bread, if, if you've made it from the way the Italians make it, is what is all you need for, for subsistence as opposed to one loaf. And a, a small piece of meat... And some vegetables is is going to help rather than a you know the the biggest steak you've ever seen in town. And I, I that's that's me, Charlie. I don't know about you. Well, I totally agree. I mean, I think in the perfect world that the agriculture department, and the health department, would be the one department because they're just so intrinsically linked. You know, that, that I mean, I guess if there was a really robust, um, and I'm not suggesting that you know the, the government and its department has all the all the all the all the, uh, the silver bullets, but um, you know if there was a robust agricultural department that was really focusing on outcomes um, beyond the economic ones, then the health department would probably only be ten percent of that whole you know super department because we just wouldn't we wouldn't have the problems. We wouldn't have people going to the doctor. So back to your question, though, I think um, it, it is. Um, it is crazy that um, as farmers we don't think about we are commodity producers. We produce a commodity. We're not thinking about food. Um, you know, most farmers don't grow their own food or don't eat their own food. You know, um, wheat farmers don't generally go and you know get a dipper of grain out of their silo and make a loaf of bread. Uh, a lot of farmers, you know, uh, a lot do, but there's a large you know percentage of farming population don't grow fruit and vegetables, and they've got thousands of acres. Um, they're not that way inclined because they've grown up, as I did in a conventional farming family, where the focus was just not anything to do with food and nutrition. You know, it was, it was again, it was, it was convenience of food um, and the economics of it, both, you know, from a, from a production point of view but also from a consumption point of view. So, I mean, I, I think it's a, love, a wonderful idea. I would love for that to be... Um, you know, those conversations and those conferences and those, you know, I think there's um, there's talk of a roadshow in sort of northern New South Wales in early next year that um, I'm hopefully involved in, which um, will be 
combining, I understand, you know, regenerative ag practices, some, some practical stuff with some psychology about farming and regenerative ag and, far, you know, just, just sort of uh, farming families, mental health and nutrition and meditation. And I think that, again, self-care, self-care, self yeah, farmers, we've got to just, um, you know, we've got to start thinking that way. And I think really the key, you know, I think the, the key to a lot of this is, 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 is the women, you know, the, the, the farming, because the guys will do their stuff, you know, they're just stubborn and I'm, I was, I guess I still am a bit, but, you know, guys, it's, 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 it's the women in the r rural communities that really are running the show and at the end of the day, and they're the ones who have the most influence, I believe, or they should have on their, and their families and their husbands. And, you know, when, because, you know, it's women who are going to pick up the meditation stuff first. It's the women who are going to start thinking about nutrition first. It's them who's going to be thinking about their children's health more. You know, truth be known, that's just, it is. The blokes are busy enough fixing pumps and sowing, sowing crops. You know, but it's, I think this is the, you know, if there's, if there's low-hanging fruit, if I can call it that, it's really the power of women in rural communities that, that can change this thing so much quicker than, you know, they're, they're, they're on the ground. They're in, they're in the house. They're... They're, they're there, you know, 24-7, whereas me on a podcast or, um, or, or, or a book that's on a table, you know, there's only so much um, exposure that a farmer will take of that sort of thing. But, you know, if the, if, if the wives and partners can, can be that, that source of change and, and inspiration, I think, you know, I reckon that's, that's going to be the... That's gonna be the the biggest change or the biggest impact we can we can have. So you girls, you're doing a wonderful job, and I reckon you know more, more, more all power to you because you know if if you can if you can really empower and inspire women out there, I think that you know it's going to be a lot easier job for sure. Oh, I couldn't agree more, and and I, I I hate to finish this up. I know everyone's busy, and it's probably now dark outside where you were standing, Charlie. <laughs> But I hope I can right. just say what a privilege it's been for the three of us to have you on our show. Uh, I can see why you are Cindy's new boyfriend. I've said it. It's out there. It's done. <laughs> um, we all love you and, and really thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a trailblazer in an industry I can imagine is tougher than we would ever you give it thought to as far as creating change. So to know that you're out there doing the work for us, we just want to say thank you. And to our listeners, is there one final message you have for any of our listeners apart from us girls can rule the world? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big one to go out on. Look, I think just one thing I didn't say before, which I guess about wellbeing and self-care, there was a survey we were involved in last year um, that was done um, by uh, 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 Dr. Jack, Jackie Shermer, she's at ANU in Canberra there, and Mark Gardner, he's a HM holds management practitioner at Dubbo. They um, surveyed um, uh, a number of regenerative farmers and compared those, that, that, those results to um, uh, some thousand or more conventional farmers, let's just say, and a lot, against a lot, lot of different KPIs, economic and social and, and, and health and so on. And some of the really in interesting results of that was that farmers who were using regenerative practices um, were significantly of a higher sense of well-being um, than non-conventional. And I think, you know, it's only a pilot study, but it's significant and lots more work needs to be done. So I think from a farmer's point of view, 
there's a lot of really good reasons to get into this sort of this sort of agriculture. And I oh. think from um, Anita's, you know, Anita's point of view, it's just about being informed and reconnecting with nature. Because once you do, you can't help but want to know and eat better food. You know, only eat what your grandmother would recognise. <laughs> so, or your great grandmother. You know, so. Um, and I think it's really exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm nervous, I'm anxious about it, I'm optimistic, but I'm actually quite excited because there's so much opportunity. We're, we're, we're so, we're such a, such, a, um, uh, such a crazy point in the history of the earth. It's actually really exciting because there's so much that we can change and so much positivity is coming out of it. So, um, and you girls are doing a wonderful job at, 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 at promoting and advocating and, 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 and you know, being uh, the source of change as well so thank you for having me on the show and i really enjoyed it and uh i can't wait to meet you all in person if people wanted to follow you or to find out more about you i know you're on instagram could you just quickly tell us how they can find you yes um instagram is charlie arnott one um uh, facebook is charlie arnott um uh just google natural uh, grass-fed beef naturally um, if you just go Google my name, it'll probably come up there. Um, website is charliearnett.com.au. Um, we're doing a bit of a revamp on the website soon. so um, But that's going to be a really good, you know, and, and is now a focal point for information, um, videos. We, we go mad with um, you know, interviewing farmers and, and non-farmers alike um, about, you know, what they're doing in the regenerative ag space or the food space. So I might have to interview you guys for a podcast one day too when I get my Act together. Well, we'd be honoured. We'd be <laughs> absolutely honoured. <laughs> I mean, well, that was so fun. So, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, you're incredible. And to all our listeners, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, it's been a phenomenal hour and a bit. And to have someone with Charlie's knowledge and sense of compassion and obviously heart and soul and commitment to the ongoing beauty of this planet, let alone Australia. I think we can all say it's been a privilege. If you'd like to place a comment, then please go to facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. You can also go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And if you have any questions for Charlie, go to him direct. Or, of course, you can certainly post onto our social media platforms. To be honest with you, Cindy and Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Cindy, for bringing Charlie to us. And if all of you are interested in becoming part of the ripple effect that's changing the world, then tune in next week. Give us a five-star rating, and we look forward to talking to you all then. Take care now. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.